With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. won the Singapore Grand Prix despite a post-race five-second penalty for a safety car infringement in a wild race. Coming up on the 5 Red Lights F1 podcast today, Checo said this was his best win, was it? I discuss. Did this race suggest an improvement in overtaking around Singapore? After Mercedes's poor race, should they settle for third in the constructors? And as usual, the race and driver ratings. So it's mics on, and away we go. Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Five Red Lights F1 podcast. This is the Singapore Grand Prix cap, where Sergio Perez won his second race of the season and became the first driver in F1 history to win both the Monaco and Singapore Grand Prix in the same season. Not been done before. That's a funky F1 stat for you, which I didn't know uh, until before this weekend when I saw the uh, Red Bull press release. And uh, yeah, that that's quite an achievement for for Checo. To be the first driver to do that, that is seriously impressive. And it was a seriously impressive driver. Brilliant, brilliant performance. And we had to wait a little bit to get going, didn't we? Because the the heavens opened and the rain came down as it as it can do in the tropical countries like Singapore. And we've seen it in Malaysia in the past. Of course, we had a, a race abandoned there less than halfway through back in 2009. So the fact that we did get going was, was good. Um, so it wasn't a wasted uh, effort for the teams and it wasn't... A wasted um, couple of hours put aside in a day for us uh, sitting at home watching the race. So let's start with Checo because this arguably is his finest win, and I know you know you could you can argue that the Monte Carlo win was maybe his best because it was again in wet dry conditions, and that's another unique thing about Checo's two wins on the streets. Both have started wet, and both have finished on slick tires. So. You know, maybe he's the man. He's the new Jensen Button. And Jensen had a a, a, a softness to the tyres, didn't he? Maybe that's the key to, to wet conditions, is being gentle with the tyres. Maybe. But of course there was that first victory in Sakir, where he was at one point last, and could have been out of the race, uh, because he was taken out into the gravel trap on the first lap, but he did recover. And then this race, I think, hinged on the start basically because we knew it was going to be tricky to to overtake around Singapore 
and Perez was fastest into turn one. He he got a good launch. It was they said it was equal, point uh, two nine of a second, uh, between Sergio and, and Charles Leclerc on um, pole position. But it was that second phase, and interestingly, it was the inside of the grid, the the, the left hand side, the even numbers side that all seemed to get really good launches. Uh, Norris in sixth had a really good launch, and he got past Fernando Alonso. Carlos Sainz got past Lewis Hamilton. And Sergio Perez got past Charles Leclerc, most importantly, for the lead of the race. So that, that offline, it just allowed so much grip, because all of the rubbish there, basically, and there wasn't this rubbered-in line down, down the main straight that the, the even-numbered side of the grid were on. So in some ways, the pole sitter was massively disadvantaged in, in that respect. But once the move had been made into Turn 1, it was fairly comfortable as well. Checo just controlled the gap to Leclerc, like, a, like the seasoned pro that he is. And the thing is, there was I, I did a, video, a short video about Perez's struggles uh, based on a video that The Race had done uh, on their YouTube. So go and check out both of those. Um, and... He just edged away from Leclerc, who's regularly able to open up a tenth, two tenths in that opening stint and gradually extended his lead. And twice they had to give it back because of the safety car. And then they obviously had the third one, but they were going to go in for the slicks at, at that point anyway. And what was really impressive, and even though he did transgress a little bit um, behind the safety car, those safety car restarts, they're very tricky. If you go too early, you have to you risk catching the safety car, or you know the other guy could come with you. But if you leave it too late, you could cause all sorts of mayhem, and we've seen that happen before in not just in Formula One, in Formula Two, and in other categories. So Checo did a really, really good job there. He did fall foul of the ten car lengths rule, which for me it's cut and dry. It's it's a slam dunk. They they all know the rules. We've seen Sebastian Vettel be pulled up for it back in 2010 in Budapest, where he fell more than 10 car lengths behind Mark Webber at the restart from a safety car period. And he even knew it. And, uh, yeah, he had to serve a drive-through penalty. So for Checo to get only five seconds is a bit, you know, it's a bit contentious because he got a reprimand and then because he did it again, or twice more, um... He's ended up with a five-second penalty, whereas in the race it may have been more of a drive-through. And the fact that it was investigated after the race and it took two hours for them to publish the result when clearly they would have known that he was behind by more than 10 car lengths is frustrating, I think maybe is the right word, because you're sitting there waiting to see if Perez keeps the victory or if Charles Leclerc takes the win. Um, you know, it could have changed the race. Leclerc, if they'd given the five-second penalty, Leclerc would have known exactly what to do, stay within five seconds. I don't know why they didn't keep Leclerc within five seconds, to be honest. But we'll we'll get to that later when we get to the driver ratings. But more on uh, Perez. He held off a charging Charles Leclerc brilliantly. You can see why Perez has stuck around in Formula 1 so long. He's just matured now into this brilliant driver okay he's got a fairly limited range of sort of adaptability i'd say in terms of like the car setup because he prefers an understeery car to an oversteery car and the red bull is now an oversteery car but 
when you know in the, in the wet conditions you need a slightly more understeering balance to protect the tires Sergio's your man and he held off Leclerc even though they were both all over the place at points and it was absolutely a thrilling sequence of laps and it, was proved, it proved again that not all exciting F1 action needs to have an overtake because you could see just how hard Charles was pushing to get by Sergio and stay within DRS and try and manufacture an opportunity to make the pass you could see just how hard Sergio was trying to keep the Ferrari behind. And it was just brilliant, wasn't it? It was so exciting. It was a shame that, that Charles made his error, um, which allowed Sergio to get away. Because I think I could have easily taken a, another 20 minutes of that action, which is, I think, what we had at, left at that time, maybe 15 minutes when Charles made the mistake. But, you know, that was really, really hard racing. Both drivers pushing to the limit of their cars and the grip available to them at the time. And there wouldn't have been a lot of grip. And they showed that because the cars were stepping out. A lot of cars were stepping out of the rear. But those two at the front, it wasn't, you know, one driver trying to push and one driver trying to just sort of consolidate and be very cautious. Both of them pushing. That was really, really enjoyable to see. So is, is this Checo's finest win? Of course, there's so many... Well, there's, there's four options. <laughs> there's four options. So, you know, you, you can you can make a case for any of them, really, because in Baku, he had to stick with, with Max Verstappen and was there to pick up the pieces. In Sakir, of course, he was last. And, you know, George Russell was in the Mercedes and flying. And until that puncture, maybe George would have won that race. The Monaco win, it's Monaco. It's so difficult to win around there. You, and in a wet, dry race, it's even more treacherous. And then around the streets of Singapore, it was a, it was a two-hour race. It's as close as F1 gets to going endurance racing. Maybe they should just turn Singapore into an endurance race. But, you know, each of his four wins are slightly different. They're unique in their own right. And, you know, for, for me, I think his Sakir win has to be the number one still because... He was last at one point. He was last on lap one. And how often do you see the guy who's last on lap one come back to win the race, no matter the circumstances? So it's, it's still a magnificent victory and, you know, thoroughly well earned because two hours racing around there in that humidity and the concentration needed and the wet conditions and going to dry. Yeah, and how late it was as well. I mean, I know they're running on European times, but... The fact that it's dark, it plays tricks with your mind. You know, you try staying up all night. It's going to be, it's going to be tough to do that three nights in a row. That's going to, that's going to be very, very tricky. But brilliant, absolutely brilliant for Checo. Of course, this was our first visit to Singapore with the new 2022 regulation cars, which are easier to follow with and better for overtaking. And did we see an improvement in overtaking? It's hard to gauge really because of the wet, dry conditions. And we saw this in Imola. Um, even though the DRS was activated down the main straight in Imola, it was very difficult to, to make the move. You had to be basically flying past and able to get back on the racing line somewhat um, before Tamburello. And into turn seven, I think they call it, uh, at the end of the, the straight in the first sector, the end of the first sector, the left-hander, it's not really long enough to, to make that sort of drive-by pass unless you have a massive straight-line advantage. You know, you, you're in a Red Bull and, you know, you're against the 
a very draggy, I don't know, Alpha Tauri, because that, that car doesn't really shift in the straight lines so well. But the the big problem was the fact that it was still wet offline. You know, on, on the intermediates, I feel like that most of the drivers were just saving their inters and not really attacking because there was no point in trying to get past because if it went to slicks, you could just be undercut. So you're trying to keep your, your slicks alive, your inters alive, so that you can do the overcut when everyone else sort of gambles for slicks. Because everyone was going to dive in at one point, weren't they? And when George Russell started going purple everywhere, everyone was more than, most of them were more than happy to dive straight in. And once they were on the slicks, as Max Verstappen found out to his relative cost, it was still too wet offline. He said that there was a bump, and yes, it is bumpy, but also the fact that it was wet would not have helped because not only did he lock the tyres once, he locked the tyres two, maybe three times. So it was definitely still wet. Um, you know, it's still a challenge to overtake at Singapore, but I don't think we'll get, we've got a representative read with these machines around that circuit. I think on a bone dry track with a bit more strategy involved in terms of slick tyres because they were expecting a two-stop race, maybe we get a bit more action. And I felt confident going into the weekend that we would get an exciting race. We did, just not for the reasons I thought because I felt sort of inside, I didn't share this with anybody, um, that you know the, the, the new cars would be good around there. But it was still a challenge to overtake. And that's what we want because otherwise you just get a Noah's Ark where all the cars tend to run two by two, which is one of the pitfalls of the sprint races at the moment. If, a, if someone qualifies out of position, they tend to end up back where they should have qualified and start the, the race on Sunday from that position. So we want it still to be a challenge, but we don't want it to be impossible. And I think the wet conditions made it not impossible, but just kept the drivers wary enough of you know, going down an escape road and, and completely ruin their race. So Perez won the race and he was followed home by the two Ferraris, which is a real blow for Mercedes in their battle for second in the Constructors' Championship. And look, Singapore has long been a bane of Mercedes, the place where even at the height of their dominance, the Silver Arrows were still vulnerable. And the W13 looked decent there this year in the hands of Lewis Hamilton at least George Russell found it a little bit more of a struggle and Lewis grabbed p3 on the grid you know it would have been p4 if Max had had taken pole position with his final lap although he may have been disqualified anyway and Lewis could have had a shot of victory but for losing that position to signs at the start and as I said you know the dirty side of the grid the inside of the grid uh, the even numbered side got better second phase starts they just gripped up and they took off but it was a it was a really messy race for Mercedes. It was an uncharacteristic error from Lewis. You know, I know he locked up in Imola last year, and you know that, that's what happens when you're lapping traffic and you end up on the wet bit. You know, you're trying to chase down the leader. But this time he was trying to pass Carlos Sainz for position, and he just made an error. He wasn't the only driver to make an error. Look, Max Verstappen went down that same escape road and. A number of other drivers did too. So, you know, people jumping on the oh Lewis isn't any good in the wet anymore bandwagon need to just chill out a little bit. Every driver's allowed a mistake or two, but it wasn't a mis 
it was a mistake we're not used to seeing Lewis make. That is for certain. You know, where he could have ended up had he stayed in that position, we'll never know. He ended up back in ninth. And George Russell was last of the finishers, bringing an end to the run of top five finishes for Mercedes. Of course, he didn't finish the British Grand Prix. He was out on lap one. So that doesn't really count in that streak. It was races that he'd finished. The 24-year-old did start from the pit lane, having qualified 11th. So they changed the power unit and he made next to no progress. And that was indicative of the rest of the field. Drivers were struggling to make progress and your progress is going to be hampered even more if you start spinning and making contact with Valtteri Bottas' Alfa Romeo and then touching with Mick Schumacher and picking up a puncture. So all of this means that Mercedes are now 66 points behind Ferrari and it's going to be really tough for them to overcome that. Surely Mercedes need a win to do so at least and perhaps even a 1-2 or 1-3 at worst However, their opponents are Ferrari, so don't rule out the Scuderia throwing away at least three winning positions from this remaining five races. All right, it's time to dive into some driver ratings. So we'll start with Red Bull. I'll actually start with the race winner, Sergio Perez. He started in second place and he finished first. I'm going to rate Checo's performance as a five out of five. He's the star performer. I mean, of course, he has to be. He won uh, a wild race. Uh, wet dry race lots of pitfalls it was a first class performance let me know in the comments if you think this was his best performance in a red bull at least or in formula one altogether and his teammate max verstappen started eighth at one point was last and he finished seventh i'm going to rate max as a 2.5 he called his weekend terrible which it was really by his lofty standards but i think that was just an emotional over emotional response from the world champion elect had Max failed to finish and Charles won the race, that would have been terrible because that would have taken quite the bite out of his championship lead, even though it would still have been probably north of about 80 points, maybe 70-odd. So, you know, he just needs to look at the big picture. I think he's still a little bit peeved about not getting the pole position on Saturday, but he just needs to think big picture. He's well in control of this championship. He's going to sew it up in the next couple of races, barring an absolute catastrophe in Japan and then the, the following round, which I believe is Austin. And then we go to Mexico. So, you know, he doesn't need to to be quite so uptight about it all. He just needs to relax and then everything will come his way. It's fine. As for Charles Leclerc, well... Another pole position failed to convert itself into a victory. That's now 18 pole positions and only six F1 wins. So he's got a one in three. Not even that, because some of his wins haven't come from first place. So, well, one of them hasn't. I believe the, the one in Austria, of course. Uh, so Charles, I'm going to rate him as a four because he had the speed to win this race. It was just that start which let him down. And he wasn't the only one to, to lose a position at the start. But that mistake at turn 16 did cost him dearly. And why did Ferrari allow the gap to grow north of five seconds? Because the very least that Perez was going to get if he got a time penalty was five seconds. So stay within that and you make sure that if they give five, you win You win the race. So another, this time slight, well, because you call it minor, it might just be a major. It's probably just, just put it on the list of Ferrari 
cock-ups because you know they could they could have won this race twice they could have won it on the track they could have won it in the stewards office but they allowed the gap to go north of five seconds so it's ferrari for you uh carlos Sainz, he started fourth finished third so he gained a place but he admitted he didn't have the pace so a 2.5 for carlos but a solid job in terms of the constructors championship if he'd lost out to hamilton or you know if he had, had an accident then you know it could have been very very different for them uh, as for mercedes lewis hamilton started third finished ninth 2.5 for him as well far from the lewis hamilton vintage that i've uh, as I mentioned earlier, that we've come to expect in such conditions. More of a Poundland knockoff version this time. George Russell, he started from the pit lane, so 20th and last. Finished the race 14th and last of the, of the actual finishing runners. 1.5 for George. Yeah, all good things must come to an end, unfortunately. You have to admire his bravery, but his stubbornness as well to try and make the slicks work, but it just, it was a... Uh, a, uh, a path that was never, ever going to lead to fruition, unfortunately. Let's go to Alpine, who were fourth in the Constructors' Championship, heading into Singapore, and they had a double DNF. Esteban Ocon started 17th, didn't finish. Alonso started fifth on his 350th Grand Prix. I've made a short video about that, so you can go and find that in the card somewhere up there. Um... Yeah, poor qualifying for Esteban, left him with an uphill task, so a 1.5 for him. Fernando was driving superbly and fended off Verstappen with some ease, really, until the Renault power unit didn't want to play anymore. But I still give Fernando a 3. That was an excellent bit of driving from him. McLaren, a great day for McLaren. That's what Lando Norris called it. And he started 6th and he finished 4th. He had things turned out slightly differently. He may have ended up on the podium. Um brilliant for mclaren they've had a bit of a tricky run recently they've turned off the development a little bit on this car and it can be a bit fickle and it wasn't looking good on friday either it looked a real handful and the fact that daniel ricardo only qualified 16th was sort of testament to that but lando finishing p4 a 4.5 performance from him reaffirming again that he is a top line f1 driver He's admitted he can't really access his full potential in this car. It's a bit of a, a diva to drive. So, you know, the fact that he's making Daniel look really, really average just speaks volumes about Lando's ability. And of Daniel Ricciardo, of course, he finished fifth, which is his first top five finish of the year. His first since Saudi Arabia last year. Uh, but 3.5 from Daniel. A quietly unspectacular drive from the Australian, but absolutely vital because it made sure that McLaren picked up very very valuable points in their fight with Alpine they've turned an 18 point deficit around into a four point advantage you know Fortune did fall Ricardo and McLaren way because they hadn't stopped when the safety car came out for Sonoda but Ricardo needed a break at some point and this was it so he capitalized and he did a good job very very well done to the whole McLaren team uh, next then we have Alfa Romeo Valtteri Bottas uh, he started 15th and finished 11th. A 1.5 for Valtteri. It's another fruitless weekend for the Finn. His early season form has just completely vanished. Without trace, it seems. And Zhou Guanyu started 14th. He outqualified Bottas uh, again. But he failed to finish. A 1.5 for Zhou because it's hard really to say where he would have ended up. Uh, he was just an innocent victim of Latifiism. So, uh, yeah, nothing he could do there. 
Kevin Magnussen at Haas started ninth, finished 12th, a rating of 2. He got into Q3. Brilliant effort to get into Q3. But then he got front wing damage again on lap 1 for about the fourth time this season. And he was reacquainted with, reacquainted with his good friend, the meatball flag. Mick Schumacher started 12th, finished 13th. Uh, a 2 for Mick as well. He's trying to show his credentials. He was defending hard against George Russell. He's trying to show that he's worthy of that 2023 seat at Haas. But he's just unable to make the most of the incidents. I think he just lacked pace overall. Uh, Kevin... I think maybe if he'd stayed in the top 10, he would have maybe snuck in there, maybe P10, maybe P11, but Haas didn't quite have the race pace this time around. Alpha Tauri, uh, Pierre Gasly finished, uh, started, qualified 7th and finished 10th. So 2.5 for him, hung on to P10. Did seem to me that the dry pace, what, dry pace wasn't as strong as the wet pace. And Yuki Snowder, he qualified in the top 10, but then he failed to finish. It was a really poor exit from the race. Uh, so he gets a 1.5 from me. He'd come straight out on slick tyres, set his his uh, fastest first sector, and then immediately crashed. So 2023 has to be a good year. Oh, we're, we are, we are going to see the end of Yuki Snowder's F1 adventure. So, you know, a shame for, for Yuki. But ultimately, that was a driver error. Another one from, from Yuki. He does keep making these. You can't, keep, you can't stay a rough diamond forever. Aston Martin, a similarly great day for them. They jumped ahead of both Haas and Alpha Tauri in the Constructors' Championship. Sebastian Vettel started 14th, having made a mistake uh, going to slips a little bit too early in qualifying. But he recovered to finish P8, a 3.5 for the four-time world champion and five-time Singapore race winner. His final drive in Singapore in F1. So very nice that he got some points uh, on this occasion, exemplary performance, I think. He kept his head, defended when necessary against Hamilton and Verstappen, just made sure he got the car to the finish because he wasn't catching his teammate who was ahead of him, but he knew he was under pressure from the cars behind, so neat and tidy job from Seb. His teammate Lance Stroll started 11th and finished a brilliant P6. So a rate Lance's performance as a four. So uh, there'll be one very happy person on Twitter um, Lance always goes well in changeable conditions. Very, very well at P6. And it was really good to see him happy, smiling after the race because so often you, you see him and he looks a bit frustrated and you know he gets a bit of, uh, gets a bit of flack for that. But these are competitive people. They want to win. So let's just cut him some slack. And it was nice to see him smiling and happy again, as I said. And we'll round this off with Williams, who had a double DNF as well. Albon started 18th, uh, Latifi started 19th. They they qualified slowest of anybody. Neither failed to, neither got to the flag. Albon a rating of two, Latifi a rating of 1.5. The fact that Albon was even there racing is impressive, but it was a costly error when points could have been available. And Latifi, look, my only defence for him is that mirrors are hardly really worth the name in Formula One because they're so small and pretty much useless at that speed. But it wasn't particularly good driving from Latifi he should have known Joe was there um, so yeah oh dear and let's move on to the race rating I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 I thought it was quite exciting lots of drama and battling there was a sprinkling of virtual safety car and safety car um, the rain made it fun as well I mean wet races are usually fun but we lacked a little bit of that spark and that 
that raceability within the rain. I think because it was a street track and yeah, it was a it was a bit the the it was a slow burn. Once we got the slicks on, it was a bit more exciting. But again, the the because it had rained, I don't think we got true reading on exactly how well these cars can overtake. And you know we had uncharacteristic errors. We had for a short while a really thrilling battle for the lead. So it had almost everything you could possibly want in a Grand Prix. So I've given it seven. And of course, I'd put the question to my friends at the Formula One Grid Talk podcast, which you can find uh, on YouTube and everywhere, basically. I'll be on their um, preview show. So that was recorded last night, although I'm actually recording this podcast before it. Um, <laughs> so it's all a bit roundabout and backwards. So yeah, check that out. Uh, you can find their, their qualifying and race reviews on there too. So as I said, go and check that out. Um, the rate, this race got an 8 from Owen Medford, Ruby Price, Carl King and Louis Edwards who thoroughly enjoyed the race. And the race got uh, a 7 from Tom Downey, Jared Yacoub and Philip Matthew. And so that brings us to the end. The chequered flag is waving on another show. It didn't quite last as long as the Singapore Grand Prix. I mean, I wouldn't want to put you through a two-hour podcast. That would be quite an effort just on my own. Uh, but thank you for joining me anyway. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you can find my written work at f1chronicle.com and insideof2.com as well as more from this channel like my short videos that I've referenced throughout the show uh, they react to breaking news or just general opinion pieces um, as and when and I'll be trying to stream some more F1 Manager with Alpine uh, sometime soon so keep an eye out for that on YouTube I know I've been doing it on Twitch but I'm going to do that on YouTube but just bring everything together it seems a bit more sensible there's only a few days between now and the return Japanese Grand Prix at Suzuka, one of the classic tracks in F1. It's got so many memories for me personally. Hakkinen's two titles, Raikkonen's storm through to the to the victory on the final lap, Alonso going around the outside of Schumacher at 130R. Uh, what else has happened there? Obviously the Senna and Prost incidents, but I wasn't born then. Um, Damon Hill's win in 94. We've had lots of really interesting races, of course. It is where Jules Bianchi had his, what turned out to be, fatal accident uh, back in 2014. So there will always be that memory there. But it is just one of those circuits. It brings back so many memories. Some good, some bad. Um, but it's a real driver's circuit, isn't it? It's, it's fabulous. The flowing S's, 130R's going to be back. Spoon curve. I mean, we might see a lot more Kobayashi dives into the hairpin. It's going to be lots of fun. The Degners are there. Always, the second Degner, especially if you get the first one wrong. Who's going to be first to crash at Degner? Probably Latifi, unfortunately for Nicky. Um, yeah, very excited for, for the return of Suzuka. I will, of course, be back next week with the Japanese Grand Prix camp. So until then, enjoy the racing at the weekend. And I'll see you in the five red lights. Go on.